please turn with me to your study outlines. And as you're turning, uh, let me uh, welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends in Arco, Idaho, and Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. We're doing a series called All I Want for Christmas. And we've been looking at things that we struggle with throughout the year, but particularly during the Christmas season, and how the different uh, aspects, the different character traits of the Advent candle, how we want those to take the place of these things during Christmas. So, for example, we talked about the discontentment of the Christmas season being replaced by the joy of Christ. We talked about the stress of the Christmas season being replaced by the peace of Christ. Uh, We talked about the uncertainty of the Christmas season and and the the year in general that we've just come through, replaced by the hope of Christ. And now today we're going to talk about the loneliness that sometimes accompanies this time of the year, replaced by the love of Christ as the children just lit, lit the Advent candle of love. Now, loneliness is not limited just to the Christmas season. Happens all through the year for a variety of reasons, thousand different reasons. Things like broken relationships, uh, things like if you've lost somebody that you've loved that has uh, passed away and gone on uh, to heaven. Uh, maybe um, you've gotten into your later years and the older years. Sometimes uh, come with it will be uh, isolation and, and separation from people and loneliness. Uh, maybe if you move, maybe if it took a new job, maybe if you've gone through a time of sickness. And so this can be accentuated and accelerated uh, during, uh, increased during the holiday season. Um, it's even though we're surrounded by people even more than, than the rest of the year. Uh, Dr. Leonard Zunin is an L.A. psychologist and author, and he says that loneliness is now the number one problem in America today, despite the fact that we are surrounded by more people than ever in our history. Do you know the average American today meets more people in a year than the average American did a hundred years ago, more than they met in a lifetime. So you're going to meet more people in 2017 than a hundred years ago, a century ago, the average American met in their entire life. We're surrounded by people, and yet we still struggle in an epidemic way across our culture and society with loneliness. So I want us to look at the loneliness of Paul, which interestingly enough, was during a very similar time of the year as we're going through uh, right now. Now what I want us to do is just kind of do the forest, read the whole passage. These are the last words ever written by Paul. These are the last words we ever hear from Paul before his death. So we're going to step back and look at the forest, read the whole passage, and then we're going to take it apart tree by tree and kind of dissect it and see what we can pull out of God's Word. So if you turn with me to your Bibles, or if you'd like to use the book rack Bible in front of you, it's on page 843. If you'd like to read off of your phone, or it'll be on PowerPoint, let's read together 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 22. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry." I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metalworker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. For you too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. 
But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Anasiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Okay, let's go through uh, bit by bit and take the trees. We've looked at the forest. Now let's look at the trees. What are the things that cause his loneliness? First of all, his location, the time of year, and his season of life. His location. He's in prison. Now this is not house arrest or minimum security prison, which uh, we see under house arrest at the end of the book of Acts. That's his first imprisonment, and it's really kind of low minimum security. His friends could come and go. It wasn't all that lonely. But now, this is more maximum security prison. He's in the Mamertine prison underneath the streets of Rome. And it's really more like a dungeon experience for him. And so his location feeds his sense of isolation. Number two, this time of year. Uh, He says in verse 21, do your best to get here before winter. And so it's beginning to get cold in Rome. And there he is in this dingy, damp dungeon underneath the streets of Rome. And and there's a chill in the air and winter is coming. Now, We can't probably appreciate this as Southern Californians, except on a morning like today, okay? Got a little taste of winter. It was awfully cold out there. But the beautiful thing about Southern California is you wait four hours, and then it's awesome, you know. So it'll get warm. By the time you leave church, it's going to be nicer out there. Uh, But And so we can't fully appreciate that. I remember when Kimberly and I lived in New York, Syracuse, New York, I'm telling you, has like the worst weather in the country. And nobody knows about it. We have a saying, uh, Buffalo gets the headlines, but Syracuse gets the snow. Buffalo would always have, Buffalo, New York, all these big early winter storms and everybody pay attention. Syracuse just got a little snow all the time. I'm talking all the time. We had a saying in Syracuse that there were two seasons, 4th of July and winter. Everything else winter. And I, I can remember growing up in the South and Virginia, I was sensitive to this. Kimberly loves the winter more than I do. And uh, there'd be a chill in the air in late August. And this dread would come over you. It wasn't that I didn't like winter. It's how long it was. It went on for like eight months. And you'd feel this chill in the air late August. And here it comes. I remember the last year we were there, April 20th, we got a foot of snow on April 20th. So I want you to know, I hate to be so shallow, but my transition to Southern California adjustment lasted from when the plane landed at Ontario Airport until a taxi to the terminal. I'm like, I'm here, I'm home. This is where I was meant to be. It's going to be kind of like heaven. It's probably not going to take you long to transition to heaven. It's going to take you about a quarter of a second. You're going to go, this is good. This is good. I, I can handle this. And that's the way it was for us when we came here. But winter is in the air. And so winter is coming. And then thirdly, his season of life. He felt like he had been put on the shelf. You ever feel like that in your life? Like, you know, he was an activist. We said this a couple of weeks ago. Now, God used his prison time to slow him down enough to rewrite a good portion of the New Testament. So God used that for good purposes, but he was an activist. And here he feels like all the actions out there as the spread of Christianity sweeping the Roman Empire, and he's stuck in prison. And he's just stuck there, and, and it must be so frustrating to feel like you've been put on the shelf and your gifts aren't being used 
I've heard that can happen to you in retirement sometimes. You know, that you finally get to it, you've been looking forward to it, but then all of a sudden, if you've had a fulfilling career and, and you've enjoyed that career, and all of a sudden, you're retired. I've heard that can be a difficult thing. They say among pastors that sometimes the bane of our existence is, you know, you're always just one phone call or one email away from, you know, a crisis or something you need to react to and that can take a good portion of your day or, or your week. And so sometimes you begin to live in dread of that next call or that next email because, you, you know, you're barely keeping your head above water. But I've heard for pastors that when they retire, all of a sudden the phone doesn't ring anymore. All of a sudden the emails don't come in. And, and they say, oh my goodness, I miss this so much. I feel like I've been put on the shelf. Or maybe for you, you just devoted your life to your family. And now you've done a great job and you invested in that family, but now the nest is empty. And all of a sudden you begin to wonder, what's my purpose now? What, what am I called to now? I've devoted my life to this wonderful thing, but now the nest is empty and now I'm feeling a bit lonely like I've been put on the shelf. And that's what Paul went through. Then his future, he says in verse 6, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. Few months after this, historians tell us that he was beheaded, he was executed by the notorious emperor of Rome, uh, Nero. And so there's, this was the sense that this was his last Christmas. Uh, his, his departure was near. And maybe for you, or maybe there's somebody in your life, you just got this sense that this might be their last Christmas or your last Christmas. And so that sense of loneliness sweeps over us. And then his relationships. Now, relationships are complicated. And so his relationships here are complicated. Sometimes his relationships, it's because people turned their back on him and rejected him. And of course, that's the most painful thing of all. But sometimes people just simply moved away. Wasn't anything bad. It was just life. I mean, that's the way it is for me here at church. I have a list of states that I hate. Any state that you move to away from here, I hate that state. I add it to my list. Just this morning, wonderful couple from the 830 service. They said, well, we're moving up. We're going. I said, oh, what state do I hate now? And he goes, Texas. Okay, I hate Texas. Add it to Arizona, to Nevada, to Oregon, um, Idaho, Washington, Northern California. I hate Northern California. Anything anything more than 100 year, miles from here, I hate. Okay, I just want you to know. And, and, and so sometimes people just move away, and yet you feel lonely in their absence. Or sometimes you'll see in these next couple of verses, that he actually sends them away. He sends them on a missions trip. He, he did it. He told them, go. But now he's lonely because they're gone. He says, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. Okay, here's the guy that used to follow Christ, supported Paul. But now he's deserted him. He decided it was too hard to follow Jesus. He goes back to the world once again, and he deserts Paul and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Now that's one of those where you just move away. And Titus to Dalmatia. And maybe to find a dog for his fire truck. I don't know why uh, Titus went to Dalmatia. Uh, then in verse 12, um, Tychicus, he sends to Ephesus. Now this is of, of Paul's own doing. He says, Tychicus, we've, we're going to send you on a missions trip uh, to Ephesus. And so Paul did it, and yet he still uh, misses him. And maybe you sent a child away to school because that was the better match for them than something locally. And, and you did that. You encouraged that. You equipped them to do that. And yet you're lonely in their absence. 
Or, or, or maybe you launched a child to the military, and what a wonderful thing. They're serving their country, and, and what, a, what a wonderful thing and satisfying for you as a parent. And yet in that, they have gone away. And it's something you're proud of, but it's something that hurts because they're not home this Christmas. Or, or maybe they're just following their dreams. They just have to move um, to someplace else because, uh, you know, they just, that's where God has called them and that's where their dreams have gone. And, and as long as they don't take the grandchildren, it's cool if they do that, you know. Leave the grandchildren here, they can go. But, but, but you're left behind, okay. And, and you got that feeling that comes over you just like Paul. Then his critics, okay, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. You know, when you get criticized, it's a lonely feeling. And even though your friends commiserate and say, oh, don't listen to that, you know, take it with a grain of salt, whatever, you're the one criticized. So you're the one that feels lonely and your friends can't carry all of that um, for you. I have this theory, and maybe I'm, I'm crazy, and maybe I'm just trying to fit it into the message and make it, make it work, but I think people are a little more critical around the Christmas season. Do you, do you, think, do you think so? Anybody think you agree with me on that one? I'm a little more critical during the Christmas season. Right, Kimberly? Aren't I critical? No, she says no. She's so sweet. She says, I'm sweet all the time, all year on. That is the perfect answer. You know, I really appreciate that. Uh, what a lovely pastor's wife. You know, I told the story yesterday about John Wesley, because APU, um, they, their background is Wesleyan. And John Wesley, true story from the 1700s, he used to preach to these massive crowds outdoors. And his wife was a little bit crazy, and she would ride a horse among the crowd while he was preaching, yelling out, he's a liar, he's a liar. <laughs> Boy, that will put a damper on a sermon every time. And so, so, I'm, so I'm so glad that Kimberly doesn't do that until after the sermon is over, you know. Uh, does not do that. As a matter of fact, I just, okay, Kimberly's sitting on the front. She's usually at 1111 service, so I just need to pick it on her at 945. You don't hear me picking on her like I do at 1111. But let me just tell you my favorite, Kimberly, one of my favorite Kimberly stories is uh, when we first moved here, I was like, Chuck Swindoll is a big Chuck Swindoll fan. He was like my hero, and I, I took his material, and I wanted to preach like him. I just love Chuck Swindoll. And um, so when we moved here to California, I can't believe it. He's just down in Fullerton. So first Sunday, we're off here. We go down, get there early, sit on the front row, and hear Chuck Swindoll. And as we're walking to our car afterwards in the parking lot, I turn to her and go, wasn't that great? And she goes, ah, he's okay, but I'd rather listen to you every Sunday. And I I thought, two thoughts, two thoughts. Number one, she's lying. (laughs) Number two, but I like it a lot. Okay, so, so anyway. All right, so, lost my train of thought. Here we go. So, so people can get a little more critical during Christmas. I can get, I find myself grouchier and more critical during the Christmas season. Uh, or maybe, maybe it's just that we're more sensitive to it during the Christmas season. Do you find that true? That the, the kind of thing somebody would say to you in the middle of the summer, you're like, whatever. You know, in the stress of the Christmas season, it, it goes a little deeper. So his critics. And then his friends. Okay, now this is interesting. Because you, you, know, you can count on your you know, critics or enemies or whatever to say certain things. But now his friends failed him. You know, your, 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 your enemies and your critics, they're very consistent, okay? They show up on time. But your friends are flaky, all right? Uh, your friends are flaky. 
And so he says that my first offense, that is the first time he stood trial before Nero. And I can imagine, I've never been on trial, but I can imagine that is a lonely feeling. And you want to look around and see some friendly faces in, in, in the courtroom there. And my first offense, he looks around, no one came to my support. They either didn't set their alarms, they got too busy, or they were afraid. But everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Now, uh, I just want to tell you, you know, your friends will fail you sometimes. Your church will fail you. Your pastor will fail you. And I'm so sorry when that happens, when we don't come through, when I don't come through. I'm, I'm sorry. But you make a decision to connect with somebody who will never fail you, and that is Jesus. And you look beyond the disappointment of your friends, and you look beyond the, the critics of uh, the negative people in your life, uh, and you got a choice to make. And Paul had a choice to make right now. He could either be consumed by self-pity and bitterness, or he could choose uh, to take concrete steps to conquer his loneliness with God's love, with the love of Christ. And that's what he does. First of all, he reminded himself of his future in Christ. And that's a great thing to do at Christmas time, to remind ourselves. And, oh, Brian had such an awesome sermon last Sunday where he said, the only reason we celebrate Christmas is because of an empty tomb. And because there's an empty tomb that we're reminded of at Christmas, that means that we have a future in Christ. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Imagine Jesus at the finish line. But sometimes you need something a little more concrete. And so he sought help from the people he had helped. He says to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. He's reaping what he's sown. He was there for people when they went through a hard time, so now he calls on them, I need your help because I'm going through a hard time. And he doesn't expect them to mind read. You know the mind reader game where we say our spouse should know we're having a lousy day and should do something nice for us and we get all bitter because they don't come through? Uh, or a friend, why can't my friend see what I'm going through right now? Why, and you just become bitter. Why, why can't they read my mind? God says, you know what? We're not mind readers. So you gotta ask them. And so he seeks help. He says, hey guys, I, I know I seem omnicompetent. I'm Paul, super Christian, you know, the guy that God is using to launch the biggest movement in world history. Yeah, but I need you now. Do your best to come to me quickly. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Now there's a great story behind that one little line. Christmas is a time for forgiveness and reconciliation. Maybe this Christmas you need to take the first step. One of the reasons we're lonely is because we've got broken relationships. And maybe we need to take the first step. Well, you don't know what they did to me. I think it's up to them to take the first step. Maybe it is, but you be the one to take the first step. Okay? You be Jesus in that. Okay? It's like two little brothers and they're, they're fighting over um, about the last of the box of cereal or whatever. And, and, and one of the mothers says to the two little boys, look, um, you know, who's, who's going to be Jesus here? You know, who's, who's going to, what would Jesus do? And so one brother says to the other, you, you be Jesus. You know, we all want the other person to be Jesus. I didn't tell that joke right. I'll work on that before 11-11. That was just like off the top. But, uh, you know, 
you be Jesus. You be the one that takes the first step. And that's what Paul does here. You see, there had been a falling out. If you read the book of Acts, um, Mark was a young man, and he goes with Barnabas and Paul, who were more seasoned veterans on a missionary trip. And it got so hard in the middle of the trip that Mark gives up. He gets discouraged, and he goes home. So uh, they're preparing for a second missionary trip, and Barnabas is the kind of guy that gives you a second chance. Paul's not that guy. And so Barnabas says, let's take Mark. We need to restore him. He's a young man. He just made a mistake. He just got worn out and gave up. And, and Paul is like, no, 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 no. You, you, you burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. And so it got so severe, the relationship problem, that they went two different directions. And Paul took Silas and went this way. And Barnabas took Mark and, and went another way. Okay? Um, one cared Barnabas was probably more the morale guy, and Paul was more the mission guy. You know, Pastor Eric, our high school pastor, he is like the leadership guru on our staff right now. This guy studies leadership all the time, and he's just really, really effective as a leader. And uh, he was talking to me the other day, and he was saying, you know, certain people on our staff, uh, they're more uh, the mission. It doesn't matter if you burn people along the way. Just get the mission done. And he said, now, others are morale people. And it's like, well, they don't care as much about the mission as long as everybody's happy once they get there. And you need a balance between the two in the leadership of the church. You need a balance of the two. If you have all morale people, nothing everything ever gets done, okay? Just sit around feeling happy thoughts towards each other. Uh, you know, on the other hand, if you only got mission people, then you, you wound people along the way, and, and that's not healthy either. And so Paul was a mission guy, and Paul was a morale, uh, Barnabas was a per, per morale guy. Barnabas was like, you know what, it's more important that John Mark, that Mark gets healed from this experience so that we can use, he can be useful to God in the future. And Paul is like, no, 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 I'm not going to compromise the mission in case he fails us once again. But here he takes the first step and says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. And there's a restoration of that relationship and that helps Paul in his final days. He took care of his physical needs. He says in verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. He had left his coat. Isn't that nice to know that Paul forgot his coat? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like your kids, your kids. How can you expect your kids to remember their coat? Paul forgot his coat, okay. But he leaves his cloak because he didn't need it because it was wintertime. But it's getting cold there in that dungeon. And so he says, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. You know, there's a tendency when you're lonely to neglect your physical needs. Um, you don't eat right. Uh, you don't sleep enough. You don't exercise enough. Kind of sounds like the Christmas season to me, okay? Boy, that des defines me right now. How many of you don't eat as well this month as you do other months of the year? Okay. Well, I, 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 I only vegetables for me too. I agree. Okay, I'll put my hand up. How many of you don't sleep enough during the Christmas season? Does sleep enough? Okay. How many of you don't get enough exercise during the Christmas season? All right. Because we're all just running crazy. And then he put the right kind of things into his mind and continue to encourage others. He says, bring my scrolls, especially the parchments. Don't neglect God's Word during the busyness of the Christmas season. These parchments were the Old Testament. It was Paul's Bible. So he says, bring me my Bible so I can fill it up with God's Word during this lonely time in my life. And make sure we don't get so busy during Christmas that we neglect God's Word. And then verse 22, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you all. He continued to encourage others. We said this a few weeks ago, that um, you, you find someone uh, who's lonelier than you during Christmas, 
and you share the love of Christ with them and the love of Christ will pour out in your heart and help you with your loneliness. Whatever it is that you're struggling with um, in, in your life, uh, find somebody who has less of that thing than you do. If you're lonely, find somebody lonelier than you this Christmas and show them the love of Christ and the love of Christ will be poured out in your heart as well. And then he remembered that Jesus was his ultimate companion. Okay, goes to trial. He looks in the enemy section and they all set their alarms. They're there on time. They're there early. It's filled. Then he looks over here in the friends section and they all flaked out on him. Too busy. Didn't get around to it. Afraid to be there. But then he looks by his side and there stands Jesus. And Jesus will stand by your side whatever you're going through throughout this year or throughout this season. You, you look to your side and he will be there. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. Now what did he give him strength for? Just to have a nicer Christmas? No. Gave him strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. He wants to give you strength so that you can not get so busy this next week, but to give you strength and time and energy to invite your oikos to one of the Christmas services. And the pastors here, we make a promise to you. Music, preaching, every aspect. We make a promise. If you get your oikos here, your friends and family, the 8 to 15 in your sphere of influence, oikos, the Greek word for household. If you get somebody from your household, your sphere of influence, you get them here. We promise we'll share Jesus with them, okay? And so what he wants to give you is strength so that the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. A few months after he wrote this, God did just that. He sent his angels to accompany him to bring him safely into his heavenly kingdom where we will be lonely no more. No loneliness in heaven. No loneliness in heaven. To him, to him be glory forever and ever and all God's family said, amen. Hey, let's stand for the benediction. If you'd like uh, prayer for anything, our prayer room is open to my left on the main floor, to your right, right over here. The prayer team, the prayer partners would love to pray with and for you. If in any way uh, that would be an encouragement to you, they would uh, love to pray with you. Uh, for our benediction, I, I've chosen 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.